This is why fathers are so critically important because what fathers do, what fathers do is they build identity. That's the most important role of a dad is that when he's involved in the life of his children and he's involved in the life of the people around him, he brings identity and he brings a, a foundational context in which people discover their true selves. Well, welcome everybody to the Salty Pastor Podcast. I'm Dr. Douglas Peak, and I am the Salty Pastor. I am here with you today all by my lonesome because in the summertime, people are doing so many different things and I had a lot of things to cover. And so I thought that it would be apropos for us to do a one-on-one time together for this podcast. Now, if you're a new listener to the Salty Pastor podcast, I just want to welcome you and we are glad you are joining this listenership. This podcast is designed to help you grow in your faith, give you a perspective not only on what the Bible teaches and specific texts, but also how it applies to everyday life. Now, over the past uh, few weeks, we've been studying the parables of Jesus, and this coming Sunday, we are going to be preaching on the parable of the prodigal son. It's actually the parable of two sons that Jesus intended us to compare and contrast with one another in order that he might communicate clearly the new kingdom of God and what it was like. And so I'd like to focus on the father since it's Father's Day and we are going to be honoring and celebrating the role of fathers in uh, not only their families, but in our society as well, and their importance that we are going to then take what we studied biblically on Tuesday, and today on Thursday, we're going to focus on the role of fathers in this Salty Pastor podcast. So welcome, and we are glad you are here. Now, on Sunday, we're going to have a special celebration. Uh, all the dads and men wear your best Hawaiian luau shirts. Uh, if you got a straw hat, bring that. We got a bunch of dads root beer that we're getting to everybody. We're going to have an ice cream social after each service. So regardless of what service you come to, dads, afterwards, bam, you'll be able to join the ice cream social. There's also going to be a photo booth to take pictures uh, with you and your family. You don't want to miss that opportunity. Take lots of pictures of your kids because they grow up quick. Take my word for it. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the overall principle of, you know, the prodigal son parable. And Jesus was getting at all different kinds of things. But one of the root things that we talked about on Tuesday when we exegeted this passage was he was getting at the whole nature of God and redefining who God really was. And you see this, that uh, the father, you know, ran to his kids. The father's initiated a celebration. The father, you know, had a great love and compassion for his kids, even though the prodigal son and the obedient son both were using him to get what they wanted. And we contrasted 
these two sons. And I'd like to show you today kind of how they apply to our society and why the role of fatherhood is so important in this regards. First of all, the prodigal son, which my son, who was hosting on Tuesday, pointed out that prodigal comes from a Latin root that means spending lavishly. And so I think the, the embodiment of this persona today is the entire movement of self-discovery and self-awareness and so forth. Uh, it's just illustrated in the fact that whatever you want to do, whatever you think morally your identity is, particularly when it comes to sex, that you're being courageous if you celebrate it and do it. Regardless of the impact that it has on you or anybody around you, that's irrelevant. It has everything to do with what? You discovering and expressing your sexuality. That's the bravest thing that you can do. And so the lavishness that we're experiencing today, I think, that uh, is equal to the prodigal son in the parable that Jesus taught is not just a... uh, uh, a wealth lavishness, a spending of affluence, because, you know, he squandered his wealth. But it's interesting that in the parable, Jesus says, with prostitutes, so that there was a sexual expression as well. And the whole notion in this idea is that you're going to find yourself, you're going to be your authentic self if you go out and pursue whatever sexual fantasy, sexual expression, sexual identity that you want. And that's kind of the same thing as a prodigal son in the first century when Jesus told the parable. So that kind of equates to today. The other side of it is the older son kind of equates to the people who are traditional, trying to hold on to traditional mores. They follow the rules. Some say they're religious in nature. But the real point is not the lascivious or the prodigal son or the religious following the rules traditional son, the real issue I want to dig into today is the heart of the father. Okay. And what was the heart of the father towards people? Uh, The first son and the second son. And the heart of the father was very specifically oriented towards a desire to be in relationship with both of his sons but their lifestyle got in the way. And so their lifestyle had to change in order for them to walk in the fullness. And that's key point, the fullness of their relationship with the father. And so the heart of the father is all about being in relationship with his children. So God has a heart for all people. I think the scripture is very clear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So it says that God loves the world. Okay. He has a heart for people. However, in America today, you know, the older son is not as emphasized today at all. Uh, more of the younger son, self-aware, pursue your sexual identity is more than anything else. And so the prodigal lifestyle is getting in the way of having a relationship with God. And this uh, is personified. And what I want to talk today is something that is so prevalent. We are now in the month of June 
And everywhere we go, we see these incredibly complex flags that are multicolored, and it's called Pride Month. And just this last week, they took the American flag down off of the White House, and they put up a pride flag in saying that this is the core value of America. So this new transgender movement is sweeping the country. It started in about 2013, 2014, and it has become the thing. And in order for us to understand the pressure that's going on here, I think it's important to read kind of the impact. And so I brought a lot of uh, data and articles today to kind of just give you an idea of what this transgender movement is doing. And this transgender movement is acting very much like a religion. And it is saying that if you don't comply and if you don't participate, then we're going to cancel or eliminate you. Uh, some people say, well, that's ridiculous. You know, Christians overstate how they're being persecuted in America. It's such a joke, but is it really? Let's let you decide for yourself. Here on March 3rd in 2023, Arizona School Board says districts should reject hiring all teachers with Christian values. So now the uh, Washington Elementary School District in Arizona is considering that we should now ban all teachers with Christian values, okay? So there you have it, all right? Number two, Atlanta Public School told Catholic couple if they want their child to avoid LGBTQ plus issues in kindergarten, they would have to remove their child from the district. So there's zero accommodation. Atlanta Public Elementary School principal told a Catholic couple that their child would need to leave the district to avoid learning about the LGBTQ plus issues at the age of five. So it's not that there's an age, of, the couple wasn't saying, hey, there's not an age inappropriate time when we will address these issues with our child. They were saying, this is five-year-olds in kindergarten and you're pushing these LTGB to plus sexual issues. And so does that, what does that tell you that's happening in our society today? Christian teacher was forced to resign because they would not, uh, excuse me, John Kluge, who was a music teacher in the Brownsburg, Indiana high school, after he declined to follow a new district wide policy mandating that teachers use the preferred gender names and pronouns of students. So if you don't do it, you're going to be fired. Here's another one that we have out here. This is a lot of people are saying, well, that's just about these Christians need to get with the program and it's, you know, they're making this stuff up. Well, just so that you know that this isn't just reserved for people who are Christians. Listen to this award-winning gay teacher has been suspended because he spoke out against transgenderism. A fifth grade teacher in Glendale, California was placed on leave after complaining at a school board meeting that his school promotes transgenderism. He said, I'm a 25 year veteran teacher. And he said, uh, I have won the teacher of the year twice. I've won the PTA's golden Oak award. And he said, two plus two equals four. The world is not flat. Boys have penises and girls have vaginas. So he said this and he was put on leave. He is an award winning gay identifying teacher. 
Just to keep going, California teacher has been fired for refusing to read LGBT books to kindergartners. Okay, a California teacher was terminated for her position allegedly because she refused to read books about same-sex marriage to students ages one to five years old, according to the Thomas More Society. Educator Nellie, I'm going to say her name wrong, Parents and Kova is now in a lawsuit against the school district. So you you tell me, are, are Christians, are people who are in opposition, even gay people, people identify as gay, in opposition to this transgender push in our school system being persecuted? I don't know. You tell me. What do the facts say? Here's another one. Christian teacher loses job after refusing to deceive parents on kids' gender transitions. Jessica Tapius, a California teacher, said she was released from her contract because she would not comply with California's district's gender policies, which says you are to hide a student's gender transition from parents. So you are to hide a child's gender transition from your uh, from the parents if they're going through it. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is happening everywhere. It's happening even here in the state of Idaho, that if you are opposing this at any level, your job is threatened, your career is threatened, you're dismissed, you're put on leave. And the question is, why? Why, why is it that this is happening? And I think that one of the things that is important to note is that our society has now become a psychologically expressive society. And the the danger in this is off the charts, okay? And I believe the people who can do the most to stop this from happening is fathers. The role of the father has been so denigrated and so pushed out of family and society and in our educational system today that that's why these things are becoming so powerfully prevalent prevalent is because the fathers are not there and now they're starting to show up. And that's why you see some of these things happening. Now, some people are saying, well, that's just our school system. And so, you know, sometimes school systems as an institution, you know, they kind of just get infected with these things, but it works its way out. You shouldn't sound, you know, beat the alarm drum and scare everybody to death. I said, well, that may be a fair point. That may be a fair point. So let's consider it. Is it happening just in the school system? Well, here you go. Kroger, one of the largest um, uh, grocery store chains out there, uh, is being sued because in Arkansas, a very conservative state, fired two employees who refused to wear LGP team-themed aprons uh, while they were at work. They said, we don't want to wear these aprons, you know. We don't support transgenderism. We're not into that. They were fired because of it. Here's another one. I find this one more fascinating. Than now, remember, this is a salty pastor, and I'm here to tell you the unvarnished truth so you can make up your own mind. And this is something really interesting. The headline is, an 80-year-old woman has been banned from her community pool because she complained about a man who identified as a woman watching little girls undressed in the shower room. If you jump into this, Julia Jamin, 
Uryaman, 80, has been swimming at the Mountain View Pool, a Port Townsend facility, for 35 years. But on July 26, the Y, the YMCA in Washington State, uh, allegedly informed her that some children needed the lane she was swimming in. So she headed to the showers where she soaped up, and then she heard a man's voice. She turned to see a biological male named Clementine Adams, allegedly an employee at the pool, looking at little girls as they were taking off their suits. So this is a, a, a man who identifies as a woman who's an employee at the YMCA, the Young Christian Men's Association, which it no longer has anything to do with Christianity, by the way, uh, and you should know that. Uh, and so I think what's fascinating about this, he says, looking at the little girls as they were taking off their suits, she said, she says, there were gaps in the curtain and there I was naked with soap and water on me and this guy right there very close to me. She said, I asked him, do you have a penis? And he said, that's none of your business. Then I told him, you need to get out of here right now. So she went to DeLuna, who was outside the shower stall, and said, get him out of here. But DeLuna responded, you're discriminating and you can't use a pool anymore. I'm calling the police. So she went to complain to the city council. And she says, there's no signage informing women the shower room is now an all-gender shower facility. And so she said, this is terrible. And, and so I, I don't know, is, is that she's now an 80 year old woman banned from using the school or the, the city pool because it's run by the YMCA. Okay. And they have a strict, no discrimination against transgender people, even if they're pedophiles looking at naked girls, changing their swimsuits. Yes, that was pretty salty. And I meant it that way. Now, the next one is this, uh, the UN. Okay. Now how much influence does the UN have in America? I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people, there's some people who think, oh man, they have way too much influence. Some people say, oh, nobody listens to them. I'm, I'm not really quite sure, but what difference does it make? Because it's part of the body politic. And what it does is it influences nomenclature. And that's important to know. But the UN now is looking to push religious communities to fully comply with the LGBTQ ad agenda. And so the United Nations has released a new report in its annual Human Rights Council meeting in June uh, from 20, it, that's happening this month. Uh, and it wants to discuss a perceived contradiction between religious freedom and sexual orientation and gender identity. So what they're doing is they're saying religious and spiritual narratives have historically been used to promote, enable, and condone institutional and personal violence and discrimination against individuals based on their gender identity. So what this report is saying is this, is that religious and spiritual narratives historically are the cause of discrimination against gender identity. So you can't be a philosophical uh, utilitarianist that says, no, maybe I'm against it because it's just utilitarian wise uh, doesn't make any sense. It's illogical, irrational, and extremely damaging and harming. And so that's happening at the UN. So um, here's another one. This person's uh, the type, this is in Pendleton, Indiana. So this person says, I would like to have my job back. School counselor sues after being fired for disagreeing with the transgendered policy. So this person is being fired. And what's interesting is 
They, um, her name is Kathy McCord. You can look her up. She's being uh, represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom Organization that gives you free legal. And they even have all of the correspondence here about the House Bill 1608 Gender Support Plan. And Dr. Mark Hall, superintendent, says, uh, you know, basically says you're being dismissed because you refuse to support it. Uh, here's another one that I think is really interesting. Some people are saying, Pastor, can you stop now? No, because this is happening every single day. It says volleyball girls have been banned from the locker room for refusing to change in front of a boy masquerading as a girl. A high school in Vermont banned the girls volleyball team from their own locker room after they expressed discomfort with changing in front of a male who says he is a female. The treating girls at the Randolph Union High School volleyball team said a male student claiming to be transgendered reportedly made an inappropriate comment while members of the volleyball team were getting changed. So they started a concern. Uh, I mean, they, they shared their concerns and they were banned from their own locker room. You tell me, is this insane or not? Well, it's not just in our schools, but as I said before, the UN is doing it. It's happening in grocery stores. Uh, a lot of uh, corporations are complying with this. And here, um, this is about a article that says that the 4-H club and a lot of these summer camps and other activities uh, that are being, uh, you know, sponsored by city governments uh, said Youth are assigned cabins based on gender indicated and their gender identity rather than sex. So if you don't want your child being exposed to that, then you are effectively banned from summer camps now. So what, what is going on here and why is this happening at the level that it's happening at? I mean, that's a really good question. A really good question is how is it just accelerated and got to this point where it went from, well, people should have the freedom and liberty as consenting adults to do what they want to do. We're not interested in, you know, oppressing people or discriminating people to, you have to agree with us or we're going to get you fired. How, 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 and now you're going to be eliminated from society. Well, a lot of this has come from this uh, movement in our society that has been articulated by Carl Truman. He, uh, he has a, a big, a big book that I bought and now he's kind of, uh, shortened it and it's called strange new world. And it's how it's subtitle is how thinkers and activists have redefined identity and sparked the sexual revolution. So I've said this over and over again, is that the biggest revolution that really happened even bigger than the, uh, the, uh, the American revolution in the 1700s when we became an independent country. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't really outweigh that, but it's up to that level is the sexual revolution in the sixties. And now today we are experiencing the full onslaught of this revolution. And he is kind of the guy that has helped people term the phrase cultural Marxism. And to explain that real quick, I just want you to have an understanding is that Marxist ideology was designed to uh, basically bring about a utopia, right? 
where nobody owns anything and it's basically, you know, this notion, you know, everybody's need is filled and, you know, without any problem and, and everybody shares. And the most incredible thing about Marxist ideology is it is an, an absolute refutation of human nature. And you saw this really quite quickly is that communist oriented states became the most genocidal states of all. The, the massacre of so many people is just off the charts. The, the body count for communism and Marxist ideology is so big, it's shocking that anybody would rationally even consider it as an option. But it is. And what he did basically is he, he said a lot of things and he had a lot of uh, aspects of his uh, ideology. But one of the things he did is, is he said, everybody is in a kind of a social group. And he had two major ones, you know, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And so he had a press -er and oppressed. And when the oppressed rise up and throw the, overthrow, create a revolution, then we can seize all the means of production. We can seize everything and everything becomes property of the state. Well, if you ever read George Orwell's Animal Farm, shows how this doesn't work. All people are not equal. And the pigs always said, well, some people are more equal than others. And the pigs represented the Communist Party leadership. And that is, is how brutal they became. And so it never works because it denies human nature and the flaws in human nature. Okay. So the way cultural Marxism works is it's not based on economic differences, but it's based on ethnic differences. And so it was, well, let's kind of balkanize or divide the country based upon ethnic lines. And we'll put one group white and then we'll have uh, black. We'll have Asian and then we'll have Latino. Uh, today is referred to as brown. And then what happened is in the late 70s, they added sexual orientation in there. And so now you have ethnic identifiers and you have sexual orientation identifiers. And when you combine them, you can automatically create more minorities. Okay. In these subgroups. And so if you create the oppressor, which in cultural Marxism today is white people, but more specifically, it's white males, you see. And, but if you're a white male, but you're gay or you identify as gay, you're not part of that group. You're put over here in a minority. And so if you are a white male that's transgendered, you're not a part of that group as an oppressor. You're put into one of these other lesser groups. And then the whole point of all these identified groups is that we try to pit them against whatever the evil is. And that's what Marx did uh, in his ideology. Uh, and that's what Lenin did. He picked up that very specific approach to bring about the Bolshevik revolution. That's what Mao did in China. That's what Pol Pot did in Cambodia. And so you look at these things as they create an oppressor group and then they go after them. And it's an opposition to that, that you gain power. This is the exact same strategy that Adolf Hitler used is that he demonized a group of people. He demonized Jewish people, but he also 
demonize Romanians and gypsies and handicapped and then the elderly and said, it's because of these groups, right, that we are being led down. So he didn't call them oppressors like Marx did. What he did is he called them parasites. But the underlying philosophy is exactly the same. The ideology is the same, even though people will put them on two ends of the spectrum. One people would call Nazism fascism, other people call Marxism, you know, uh, totalitarianism or socialism and communism. But the way they think, and that's what the salty pastor is all about. Sometimes it's not what you think, but how you think that makes all the difference. It's how they think is exactly the same. And they split people into two groups. You got the older brother and the younger brother. And it, the younger brother may be a different personification than what they articulate, but ultimately it's important to understand is that they want to put everybody in these two groups. And this is why fathers are so critically important because what fathers do, what fathers do is they build identity. That's the most important role of a dad is that when he's involved in the life of his children and he's involved in the life of the people around him, he brings identity and he brings a, a foundational context in which people discover their true selves. In the parable of the prodigal son or the two sons, it's very important to note this simple truth. And that is this, is that the younger son was wrong and the older son was wrong, but the father was right. And the father was the one who brought both sons back into relationship with him. He brought the pot, prodigal son. Now, that doesn't mean the prodigal son didn't have to come to terms with his lifestyle. He had to come to terms. It says in the parable, Jesus is quoted saying, when this prodigal son came to himself, he understood who, who he was really meant to be, which is not live this way. He came back to the father. The older son, right, when he was finally able to, to go in, because his father entreated him to. And that is both had to come back in because the father was right. The father is the source of identity, not your lifestyle, not your religion. It's the father. And that's what's so important to get out of the prodigal son. And that's why we have to be so aware of what's going on out there. If we want to stop this, we have to take a public stand to say, this is not to be propagated on kids. We need to take a strong stand against that. But the most important thing that you can do is you can be a dad, a granddad who is active in the lives of his children and grandchildren. And the more active you are, meaning the more time you spend with them, the more time you do things with them, then the more secure in their identity they are going to be. So remember that. Now, we've run out of time, and I appreciate you being with me today. I hope the monologue was good for you. It was certainly a joy for me. I want to say God bless you, and I hope that you just have a really great week. We're going to pick this up next week when we dig into a brand new parable of Jesus. This is Salty Pastor signing off. God bless.